Good morning, Foothill Church. My name is Erica Hussey. I'm a covenant partner, and I serve with Foothill students and Foothill Kids Worship. Today's scripture is found in Revelation 22. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. At night there will be, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, "These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book." I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant of you, and your brother is the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. Bring me my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hear say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus will be with all. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to start this morning um, in our third week of Advent just by asking the question um, that I asked a couple weeks ago, and that is if you could see your future, um, well, one, would you want to? And two, um, how would it affect how you might live today? Would it make a difference in how you live today? Um, my daughter's on the front row here and she's obsessed with time travel, like this question of time travel and, and time traveling movies and everything like that. She always asks me, if you could go back to any time. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to go back. I'm like, I always want to go forward. She's like, no, you can't go forward. You can only go back. I'm like, what kind of janky time machine is this? They can't go forward. But So uh, we love like Interstellar, which is a great movie um, and, that, and all these kind of things, right? But this morning we actually are going to get to see your future. 
Um, this is what this book of Revelation is, the final book of Scripture. And basically, the Apostle John is caught up and given this vision. He's able to see and this vision that, that Jesus gives to him. And Jesus gives it to John to communicate to the church, uh, often called the bride of Christ, as we'll actually see in, in, this morning as well. Because he wants them to know. And he wants them to know what their future is for a reason. And that reason is that they might have hope in the situation that they're in now. Um, that they would uh, understand that even though they might be going through a time of tribulation, through a time of suffering, through a time of trouble, that that time will come to an end and Jesus will come again. And so we're going to look at this. We don't have time to get into if you were like, oh, Revelation, let's find out like all the timeline and pre-trib and post-trib and all that stuff. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We don't have time for that this morning. Let's grab a coffee. I'll give you my opinion on that and uh, we, can, we can chat that through. Um, but here we are um, in our third week of Advent. And Advent, as we said, really just uh, comes from the Latin word that means coming or arrival. And that's our theme today. Uh, we looked at week one on waiting in the dark. Um, and this idea that, that we're in this in between, we, we wait as the Old Testament people of God waited for the first advent of Christ. Now that advent has come. So we look back at the first coming of Christ, but we're in this in between uh, period. We're waiting for his second coming once again. Um, and the similarities that were there. Last week, Brian helped us look at the mistake that the Pharisees made in looking for the wrong Messiah. They were looking for the wrong savior and how we can fall into that trap as well. Um, this morning, I wanna talk to us about waiting in hope. Um, and really looking forward to the Messiah, Jesus, and the hope that he brings in us because of the promises that he uh, fulfills. And so we're going to get a tour of the future, and particularly these last two chapters uh, are, are a tour of the city of God, this new Jerusalem that comes from heaven, from God itself. And John is given this tour by this angel, and um, he sees several things, this place of hope, these, the, the person of hope and these promises of hope. And so we're just going to look through those quickly. And we'll notice, um, I, I, let me just read the opening verses from chapter 20, uh, from chapter 21, because John, this will give us a little context. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, but the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And uh, a loud voice before the throne of God said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be with his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In verse nine, he says, then came one of the, the angels and he said, uh, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That is the church. Jesus is our head often described as this uh, bride's groom that's come for his bride. Um, those who are, who are part of the, the people of God, who have put their faith and trust in him. And so John's given this vision. He, this angel says, let me show you the bride of Christ in the city of God. And notice in verse 22, the opening kind of imagery should trigger our memory and take us back to the very opening chapters of scripture in Genesis. Because it says, then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kind of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month, and the twelve and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And so here we have this river that's flowing, extending life, this tree of life that's there, which is exactly what we see in the Garden of Eden. Is that isn't isn't that right? 
we, we see this river that flows out of the garden and it flows out into the rest of the earth and with it brings all kinds of life. The, the story of the Bible really is in the beginning, God created this, this place to dwell with man, this paradise, this garden. And through our rebellion, through our, uh, the, the, the evil one deceiving us, believing the lies of Satan, going against God and his will, we lose paradise. It's paradise lost. But the whole arc of scripture brings us to paradise regained. Um, and this is what we see at the very end. And the, the means by which that happens is really through one person, Jesus Christ, who rescues us from our sin and darkness. He provides the means by which we are forgiven and brought into the family of God. And in the end, we have uh, everlasting uh, joy in his presence. And so we see this river of life, a tree of life. The, the first Adam through his failure and sin, bringing death and destruction and decay. And here we see the second Adam, that is Jesus, bringing life uh, uh, and the reversal of this curse of death. We go from being in the presence of God in a garden in the beginning to being in his presence in a garden city at the end. And in, it, in the middle of this is this river. And it's connected to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But this is spoken of all throughout these prophecies, even in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 47, um, the prophet Ezekiel gets this vision of this river flowing from the place of God. It says in, in chapter 47 of Ezekiel, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple, the altar of the temple toward the east. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be uh, very many fish for where this water goes there, the, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the water goes. This water even flows to the Dead Sea, making it fresh. Uh, a sea that has no life in it now is teeming with every kind of multitude of fish. And on its banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of Trees for food, their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, this altar, the place of God's dwelling. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for the healing. This is the exact same picture and image, isn't it? But it's an Old Testament picture. It's, it's flowing from the presence of God in the temple, but it's the same trees. The, the leaves are bringing healing. This water is flowing in Revelation, we get this now, this, it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flows out to the earth, bringing fruitfulness to what was dead and what was barren. The river is connected to Jesus and his throne at its source, but it's not just physical life that it brings, it's spiritual. It's, this is eternal life. It's eternal fruitfulness. One day, our bodies will give up. Um, we will we will die a physical death. The Bible refers to this as the first death that we all experience. But those that get to drink of this water, that eat the, the, the fruit of this tree, don't experience a second death. It's eternal life. It's eternal joy. The psalmist in Psalm 46 refers to this as well, where he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in their midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His utter, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Even in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this promise of the city of God, this river, this place where although the kingdoms rage, although the nations just totter, they're so precarious, God can just utter his voice and the earth melts. He is our fortress. The, the Lord of hosts is with us. We, th- we hear that, the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? Like a hostess? Like he's there to like host us? The Lord of hosts refers to this host of army that God has, right? It's, it's, it's connected to his power and his reign. Jesus, even on his time on earth, refers to this, this eternal spring that is offered to us. Do you remember the story where he meets the Samaritan woman at the well and he asks her for a drink and she gives him water and he says, I have water that if you drink of, you will never thirst again. Now, he's not referring to she would never have to physically take a drink again. Of course, uh, of course she would. He's referring to a spiritual water, a spiritual source of life, because that's what water is. You can't have life without it. That will quench all of her desires. What she had been looking for in all this multitude of relationships, he's like, what you're looking for, what you're thirsting for, you'll only find in me. And when you find that in me, you will thirst no more. We see this tree of life that's here bringing its healing for the nations. At this point in Revelation, human history will have come to an end. No more wars. All the things that uh, cause us grief, oppression, cruelty, injustice, political corruption, all of that is ended at this point in the story. And this is the hope that we have, what is promised to us all springing from its source. And it's the imagery that John gives us to understand. John had a tough job. Imagine being John a couple thousand years ago, given a future vision of a city that hasn't yet come even in our age, and then having to describe that. (laughs) Like with his limited language and understanding and like, uh, uh, no wonder he becomes overwhelmed at times during this story. Even Jesus, as he talks about this source of life, life everlasting, he speaks of it on his time on earth. In John 7, he says this. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whose heart? Well, he tells us. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is saying, hey, there'll be a time where I'm gonna be glorified and gone. My believers will receive the spirit. And because you have the spirit in me, you will have springs of, of living water flowing out. It is the spirit. It is, it is God himself that is the source of this everlasting life. And it's symbolized in this river a river and these, this tree of life that we can eat of that, that nourishes us and, and sustains us. It is he who sustains life even now, the breath that we have, that we aren't guaranteed even t- tonight, let alone tomorrow. It is the spirit of God who sustains our very life now. And it will be him who sustains 
life eternal for those um, who are his. That's important for us to remember, isn't it? But we see in this place, this dwelling place of God, something else. In verse 3, he says, no longer will there be anything accursed. Right now, because of the fall of sin, we have this curse. There's a curse of sin on us, and it includes death. It includes decay. But in this city, there's nothing accursed. If you read in 21, even the imagery of how this city is built, it's built with incorruptible material, precious metals and precious stones, and it's incorruptible. Nothing occurs, no sorrow, no death. Let me read again from the previous chapter in 21. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. This is what we read. And then we skip ahead. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he said, who is seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more mourning. Why? Because those former things will have passed away. We're, we're experiencing the former things. There are present things, but they will become former things in the future. All these things will be done and dealt away with. Why? Because the things that caused those things, uh, our own sin, our own choices, the choices and sin of others against us, systemic sin and injustice, all of those things will be made right. The curse of sin will be lifted. Sin with death and hell and those that are not apart from Christ will be eternally separated from this city as we'll see. And the source of all of this we see is coming from the throne of God and of the lamb, which brings us to the person of hope. God and of the lamb is how it's described. Now, less, this helps us to think and speak about God in the right kind of terms. We serve a, trini, a Trinitarian God, right? We speak of one God in three persons. So it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of whom um, are represented here. But it, it speaks of the lamb, which is Jesus, right? The lamb slain for us. He is the one who is the embodied uh, uh, essence of God. He is, we have one singular object of worship, one God. So when we sing of Emmanuel, it is God with us. And here in the physical form, that's Jesus. Paul talks about it in this way in Colossians 1, about this preeminence of Christ. Who is the object of our worship? Who is the person of our hope that we look to? It is Jesus Christ himself. Colossians 1:15. he is the image of the invisible God. So God is spirit can't see God, and yet God manifests himself in the image of, of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head, the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a glorious piece of scripture. This is our person of hope. This is the source of 
our everlasting peace, our everlasting joy, our everlasting life. It's because he is here. It is because he is the source of all of these things. It's the fullness of God in Jesus. And here's the incredible part of this. Verse four, they will see his face. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to look into the face of Jesus. What will it be like on that day when he wipes away our tears once and for all? In some ways, it's unimaginable. And that day, though, should shape how we think about this day, all of our days. What does it say in verse 4? I have a weird weepy eye, so um, I'm sorry. It's just been like that for like four or five days, so I know. It wouldn't be a shocker if I was just up here anyway weeping, but there you go. Um, Sometimes it spreads to the left eye. But they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And what does it say in in the previous verse? Sorry, I didn't finish that. Uh, The lamb of the throne of God will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So we'll worship him. We'll see his face, and his name will be written on our foreheads. What's that all about? Well, if you remember, do you remember when we were going through our series in Exodus, when it came to describing the high priest and his garments, one of the things that the high priest did was wore something on his head, right? Exodus 28, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, uh, holy to the Lord. So the priest wore uh, a golden holy to the Lord plate on his forehead. um, And it says, uh, and it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that's the high priest, and, it, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall be regularly on his forehead, why? That they may be accepted before the Lord. No longer do we need a high priest anymore. We are in the presence of Jesus, worshiping as priests ourselves, accepted eternally before the Lord. Worship is what we were created for. It's what we will do in his presence And I'm sure there's many ways that we will do that. I don't think it's just going to be 24-hour singing. Sorry, Ike, at this point. Um, No doubt there will be that. We're told that there will be, for sure. But I'm sure it comes in other ways as well. Here we are in, in the presence of the one who has secured our eternal life, our eternal peace, death no more. And in verse six, he, uh, John says, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. They're trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits and of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. They're faithful and true. Jesus is described as the faithful witness in chapter one of Revelation 22. This is his revelation. Over and over, it's describing him as faithful and true. That's important for us to know and believe Especially, I think, in our time, this has been this way in human history many times, but man, truth itself just seems to be eroded. Like, I have no idea who to look to for news and believe, and believe them anymore, right? Things that we all just agreed were settled facts. Now, our question, falsehood, misinformation, 
Um, just this last week, Twitter gets exposed for ways that they were hiding information and, and sending out misinformation, all kinds of different, like Pontius Pilate asked this, this question when Jesus, when he, during Jesus' trial, he says, what is truth? And I feel like that's a question we've been asking ever since. But here we're told the words of Jesus, the witness of Jesus are faithful and true. We have an entire um, Bible that, that shows us that from the very beginning to the very end. Hundreds of prophecies over millennia, all culminating in Jesus. Jesus in, in Luke 24, um, he, after, the, resurre after uh, the resurrection, meets disciples on the road and basically starts with uh, the, the Torah, the law and the prophets. The first five books of the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, showing them how it was all about him, the coming Messiah. Not in some... My, you know, egotistical kind of way. Well, all these prophets were culminating in him, him and the Messiah. The New Testament, same. All of these things coming true. It's not just, hey, believe it's true. It's like, there's, no, there's, there's evidence that this is true. Do we believe that Jesus' words are faithful, that they're true? Because his words in, in seven, as he speaks, these are the words of Jesus in verse seven. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And again, we might be tempted to be like soon. We've been saying soon for a while, but soon or it doesn't mean necessarily the way that we think about it, right? We think in, in time of like chronological. So uh, if you have teenage daughters, you'd be like, hey, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Well, that doesn't really mean, like when, it, they don't mean it ready in the same way that I mean I'm ready. When I mean I'm ready, I mean like I'm actually ready to like walk out the door. They mean I'm, I'm close to being ready. There's a few more things that I, you know, that have to take place. Like, and so, you know, you have to sit and wait another 10 minutes because they're not really ready, right? We think in time of that way, right? What's ready or what is soon. Yeah, I'll be ready soon. Oh, great. I'm thinking like a couple minutes. It's not a couple minutes. But, but the word here that's used doesn't necessarily mean like time in that sense. It means when it happens, it will happen quickly. It will happen rapidly. Like, like the first domino that falls, it will come quickly. It will come soon. Once it begins, it will come in rapid succession. And Jesus says, behold, I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of this prophecy. And at this moment, John is so overwhelmed. He said, I heard the one and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So John's given this vision through this angel. He's so overwhelmed at this point, he begins to like worship the angel. And look at the angel's response. He's like, whoa, 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 stop it. You're going to get us in trouble here. I wonder, because he says, he says uh, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you, this is the angel, and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. I wonder if he thought about uh, Lucifer, that angel who wanted worship, and what happened to him. Now John's worshiping him. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This ends badly, really badly. And he directs his worship to the one object that's worthy of our worship, to Jesus himself. How easy it is, isn't it? Even here's John in the middle of this vision, got it wrong. How easy it is to exchange the worship of God for lesser beings.
What do we learn even in this moment? It's easy sometimes to look at other people and see their false worship. Like we can, oh, golden idols of Buddha and things like that. And we kind of, you know, look down our noses at that. Or, oh, even like Roman Catholics with their popes and, the, and Mary and all the saints that they kind of worship. But we Protestants do the same thing. We have our celebrity pastors, those who big churches or write books or have the most listened to podcasts or on and on it kind of goes, right? We can kind of venerate and worship in our own kind of ways. And the lesson here is there's only one object of our worship. And it belongs to the lamb who's on the throne. We follow and worship him even unto death. Notice it's servants as the angel says, what, what's the mark of a servant is those who keep the words of the Lord. Those who keep the words of the Lord. Does this affect, are we keeping God's word? Are we in step with that? Are we obedient to that? In the chapter, he's going to talk about those who are outside of the city. Those who are inside in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Another uh, interpretation of that is those who obey my commandments, those who are, who, who are faithful in following uh, and practicing the way of Jesus. Those are the ones who are in the city of God with him. We need to be reminded of that, isn't it? Because sometimes it's so easy, it's so tempted to not follow Jesus because it, it feels like that's what eases our pain. That's what brings us comfort and joy. That's where we will find um, our, our happiness, our security. But John wants us to look forward and remind us that the only place that that is found is in the presence of Jesus. Our ultimate security, the ultimate place that is incorruptible, the ultimate place that our, our joy, our hope, our source of all of that is found is with Jesus himself. Verse 12, Jesus himself speaks and he says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He, he is the preeminent one, as Paul would say. And he says, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. How do you feel when you hear that verse? What, what emotions arise in you when, you when you hear that verse? Is it one of joyful expectation? Or is it one of a little bit of, you know, you swallow that lump in your throat a little bit. Um, this week, I, I saw a video of Deion Sanders. If you don't know who Deion Sanders is, he's an incredible athlete. He played 14 years in the NFL and nine years in Major League Baseball at the same time. Uh, he's the only player to ever play in the World Series and a Super Bowl. Um, so uh, his nickname was Primetime. And so now he's Coach Prime because he was uh, coach of Jackson State and he turned that uh, football program around. And he's just now been appointed the new coach of the University of Colorado, and they stink. So they lost all but one game this season, and that's kind of been, they've not had a, a great football reputation for a, a long, long time. And there's a video this week of him meeting his team for the first time, and they're sitting in like an amphitheater kind of lecture hall, and he's there, and um, he keeps using this refrain over and over and over again, and it's, 
and he sounds like a black preacher. I love it. It kind of sounds like a sermon. And he says, I'm coming. And he wants them to know uh, there's a new day that is dawned. So he's like, hey, all these earrings and hats and hoodies and meaning, they're gone. Why? Because I'm coming. Some of you better transfer to another school and find a place to play because you're not good enough here. You know why? Because I'm coming. All this losing, this culture, all of that that you're contributing to, that all changes. Why? Because I'm coming. And uh, there's this just bravado. He's like, hey, I'm coming. And because I'm coming, things are going to be drastically different. And what was interesting in that speech, as entertaining as it was, was the reaction to all the pundits afterwards. Because it was kind of a divided, divided. Some people were like, man, this is the first time he's met his team. He's telling them, hey, you better transfer to another school because you're not going to cut it here. Like, that's kind of me. Like, isn't he? He's like, man, they're like, that might've been not the best approach. Other people were like, it's about time. Like the fans were like, yes, turn this junkyard around. Someone who's finally gonna like know what they're doing and bring stuff here. And I feel like, man, this is kind of how it feels like when Jesus says, hey, I'm coming. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now you can hear that as bad news, or you can hear that as really good news. And for those of us today that are in Christ, we're meant to hear that as good news. That's literally what the gospel means. And yet, for those of us that are outside of Christ, who haven't turned to Jesus and repented of our sin and, 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 and see him as king and Lord that he is, that's very bad news. It's bad news that he's coming. But let me just encourage you, fellow believer, at the very beginning of this uh, book of Revelation, Jesus starts off with, hey, if you'll overcome, if you'll be faithful, if you will stay true to me, here's a myriad of blessings you get. And here's, here's some of them. Let me just read these off. You can read them for yourself, Revelation 2 and 3. He says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's what we've just looked at. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We all experience the first death. There's a second death. We'll look at that in a second. He says, you don't have to be afraid of that. To the one who conquers, I will give them a hidden manna. I will give them a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them. The one who conquers will be clothed us in white garments and will, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. We've seen this again. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now that's good news. <laughs> that's good news. But you can hear that as bad news. What does Jesus say in verse 15? Sorry, 14. Blessed, good news to those who wash their robes or do as I command, that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city gates. Verse 15, bad news. Outside, are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. 
So his recompense comes and he enacts justice. And we want justice, right? We look at the evil in the world. and We, we want somebody to do something about that. We look at those who abuse their power and oppress people. And we want someone to do something about that. Violence, murder, injustice. We cry out, someone do something about that. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And I'll bring my recompense towards them. So we all want systemic justice. We just don't want personal justice. (laughs) Because the truth is, Jesus says, I I am those things. In the first service, I said, I am a murderer. And a kid in the back goes, you're not a murderer. But Jesus says, I am in a way. If I have anger towards a brother, I have that same root in my own heart. And so Jesus is giving us time because to come and enact justice for some of us, we're on the receiving end of that sword. But Jesus said, I would much rather you come and have right to the tree of life to drink. Come, it's free. There's an invitation that's here. The second death he refers to in in the previous chapter. To the one who conquers, they'll have this heritage. I will be their God. He will be my son. We're adopted into his family as sons and daughters. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Second death is where eventually Satan and his minions are cast into as well. It's an outer darkness separated from all of the goodness of God. And he reminds us, I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. That's a way to say, I'm the one in which all these Old Testament prophecies find their fulfillment in. I am the Messiah who will bring all of the promises of God to his people. And this is the promise of hope that we have then finally as we end. What is our reaction? What is our response to this claim of Jesus? This future that he shows us that we have access to? Because we're in this Advent season, right? Advent is, a, is about, in a sense, being in a darkness, but it's not just left in the darkness. It's about a light that shines into the darkness. This is the promise we have in Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. Verse four, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his, uh, of, uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken. He's come to enact justice. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, every garment rolled in blood, that's gonna just be used to fuel in the fire. We don't need weapons and supplies of war anymore. Why? Verse six, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the promise that we have. And so I ask in in closing, 
Have you received that promise? Is, is, the, is the coming of Jesus good news or bad news? Is it despair and terror or is it hope? This book of Revelation, in many ways, dis- we can find disturbing, but that's kind of what it's meant for. It's meant to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. We see the correct response in verse 17. The spirit and the bride, that is the people of Christ. So the spirit of God and the people of God in unison together say, come. Let the one who hears these words say, come. This is good news to us. Yes, we receive this, come Lord Jesus. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let them, the one who desires the water of life without price. So maybe that's you this morning going, listen, I'm not a Christian, but I I want what you're describing. I I want that peace. I want that joy. I, I want that not just in this life, but certainly for eternity in the next. Jesus says, come, it's free. Come and drink. And if not, Earlier in the, in the chapter, it, it said, listen, let, let those that are practicing evil, let, let them practice. Like, it's a sense of like, if, if that's what you want, then, then go for it. But recompense will come for that. Or you can come and drink. We can leave our sinful ways and come and drink. then he ends with a warning. Everyone who hears these words, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away this words of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the eternal life in the holy city, which are described in this book. We can, we can take away the words of God all, in, in many ways. We're not just talking about like erasing this. You know, we've burned Bibles before, like they, they always come back. But we take away by ignoring God's word, by belittling it, by twisting it into something that it means what we want it to mean so that we can kind of live however we want and ease our conscience in that way. That's taking away from the, from the words described in this book. We have to take it seriously, not by ignoring it or downplaying it. Why? Because in verse 20, he testifies that these things says, these are the last words of Jesus recorded. Surely, surely I am coming soon. And our response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the last verse of scripture, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's our, that's our response this morning. If you're a fellow believer in Christ, it's, it's Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Fulfill your promise. Wipe away our tears. There's a longing for that. And that longing should impact how we live. We're going to talk about that more next week. Brian's going to get into that. But it should, it should shift our priorities of what is important from temporal things that, that aren't going to last to eternal things, to following the way of Christ, receiving all of his blessing with that, rather than his recompense and judgment. And it should encourage us that no matter what we're going through now, we don't have the second death to fear. It will pale in comparison as Jesus wipes away our tears. And all of this is sustained by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.
come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your reminder to us, your vision that you gave John of our, of our future, of our hope, of the promises that will be fulfilled. Would you, by your spirit, um, give us uh, just the courage to believe these things. Help us in our unbelief. When we are so uh, captivated or blinded by our temporary situation, our own pain even, our own anxieties, our worries, our own lack at times. Um, Father, you are in the midst of those things. You've promised uh, all that we need to live a life of godliness in this life so that we may live it in the next. And Father, for those of, that are hearing my voice this morning that, that haven't received Jesus as their savior, may today be the day of salvation. May they come and drink of that water freely recognizing you as king of our lives now because that is the reality. You are king reigning and ruling. And yet in your mercy, you are giving us time to respond before it's too late. In this life. And so Father, we ask this morning um, for faith, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us believe, that you would give us um, even new life, even this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen.